Our second reading uh, this afternoon, as I'm sure you were listening, uh, is from um, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And this was, from what we can tell about the entire writing, uh, probably Paul's favorite uh, group of Christians, his favorite community. And he writes from Rome. He finds himself in prison. And he is sending to the community in Philippi uh, some, uh, he's thanking them actually for, for sending some money to him um, to, to be able to be taken care of while he's in prison. I think one of the things that uh, most folks don't un- understand is that when you were thrown into a Roman prison, if somebody was not coming to feed you or you did not have money to pay someone to feed you, uh, you starved to death because they didn't take care of you. It, it was truly a a horrific uh, experience. So he is sending his greetings to this community and and, and his thankfulness for for helping to keep him alive. And because he had this special place in his heart for Philippi, he's concerned as well for the infighting that he's hearing about in the community. And so this is a a thank you letter, but also an opportunity to, to try to get these folks to, to live as, as Christians with one another, as, as people who, who love one another. And it is then a reminder for us of the, the, the temptation of Christ that we read about last week in the gospel. You know, our desire for comfort in life is a, a temptation of sorts to um, to sell ourselves out for personal profit. You know, if, if, it's hard to, to be a Christian. It's, it's difficult to live this life, and, and all too often, we just kind of push it aside, or we, we do things that um, keep us very, very comfortable, not, not really caring about what it means to be a Christian. You know, that, that desire for power, that... Uh, Desire for status leads us to want what we think is best for ourselves. And uh, that's not good. In the end, that is not good. You know, certain members of the community in Philippi had uh, given in to these temptations. Uh, there was disunity. There was rivalry. Uh, and, of course, you know, consequences to that. And so Paul's asking them to live the kind of life he taught them about, in which they care for one another in their business places, in their family situation, in the, the community, in their homes. You know, Paul dares to say, as we hear, be imitators, who does he say? Be imitators of me, he says. So he gives himself as an example of living the Christian life. Um, you know, it, it is in reality an example. Paul was a very courageous person, a very humble person, and his leadership was, was something that he showed through service, through his caring for other people. And the main example then that Paul offers um, is all about his attachment to whom? To Jesus Christ, his attachment to God. And of all things, 
You know, Paul points to living with Jesus Christ as the, the most important thing in his life. Nothing else matters to him. Nothing else at all. And he's trying to help the folks in, in Philippi to, to understand that. He's trying to help us to understand that as well. You know, Philippians are citizens of Rome, but he urges them to strive for something more, to strive for citizenship in heaven. And he, he calls the Philippians to choose between their, their comforts and their beliefs and living with and in and through Jesus. Are any one of us in such a position that we could, could say to, to people who are fighting among them, themselves, you know, be an imitator of me? Could any of us do that? Because I think the vast majority of us, and <laughs> I'm right there with you, would have to say no. You know, I, I can't, you know. It would be difficult for me to tell people to look at me and, 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 and see that good example. But the truth of the matter is we should be able to. We should be able to. We, we should so desire life with Jesus Christ that nothing else really matters. And Jesus has already announced to his disciples that, that he has to go to Jerusalem and die there. He's already said to them and to us that if we wish to follow him, well, then we have to pick up our own cross. And now we find ourselves in what we're having described in our gospel today about a, about a week later. And Jesus takes Peter and James and John to a mountain to pray. And what we're hearing is the story of what happens. Because in this vision that they are allowed to have, these apostles have an epiphany. Suddenly, things are being unveiled to them in such a way that, that they're starting to get it. They're given a glimpse of what was to come, and that was glory. Glory for Jesus. Glory for them as well. And it was a gift to them because on the road to glory, there would be suffering and death. And they would need this vision in order to be able to stay faithful to what Jesus was calling them to. You know, the temptation that each and every one of us has is to avoid our crosses. And... I would say that there are two kinds of crosses that we avoid. There are those crosses that uh, are the bad things that happen to us in life. And, you know, we want to run away from them. We want to, well, all too often we're defeated by them. But there's another kind of cross, and, and perhaps this is the one that Jesus is speaking of most importantly. It speaks, or they speak, of the, of the consequences of truly attaching ourselves to Jesus. And if we make a, a clear and unambiguous decision to follow Jesus Christ, then we're going to have problems. 
there are consequences to that. And certainly they all lead to glory, but we don't necessarily want to deal with them in the here and now, in this life of ours as we walk a pilgrimage, a journey to heaven. You know, when we, when we put Sunday Mass before everything else, well then, what happens? You know, you have your children fighting with you. You have others trying to tempt you away from it. You know, golf is more important on Sunday morning or whatever it may be. You know, some other quote-unquote nobler purpose out there. Maybe it's a basketball game or a volleyball game. You, you know, you get kind of easier maybe to just go do that instead of staying true. When we decide that God is the author of all life and, and we take a pro-life stance, you're going to be ridiculed. You're probably going to get spit on. And there are consequences to this, this kind of a cross. When parents insist on, on governing what their children watch, what they're looking at on the Internet, you know, the, the goodness they're trying to insist on, uh, trying to get their children to grow in, in excellence. In other words, when you're trying to be a hands-on parent, you're going to get no support, lots of grief from your kids. You know, if you shy away from inappropriate humor, the office gossip and other sinful behaviors, you become the object of the gossip and the humor. And even when we decide to support all that goes on here, you get ridiculed. And why would you want to do that? You know, what, do they, what do they need that space for? Why should I support the school? My, you know, my kids aren't there anymore. You're ridiculed when, you know, people say things to you about all of this. So how do we stay faithful? How do you stay faithful? Well, go home and read Genesis again. And Genesis reminds us of God's promise. God will stay faithful to us at all, all times. When we're suffering, God will be present to us. And just as he was to his son who was suffering on the cross in his execution. Thursday morning, I had to run down to Christ Hospital. It was a little early in the morning. I didn't know how bad traffic was that early, you know, both going and coming but a man from our parish who was dying. And, you know, he was going to be moved to hospice that day, and that's why I had to get down there pretty early. And, you know, he, he got this. You know, 64 years old, should have quite a few more years to go, but he understood that God was with him. You know, it, it was a pretty wonderful experience for me. You know, to see, despite this man's pain, the, the hope that he still has, knowing that, that God is present to him, that God promises that and that he could feel that and sense that. You know, Luke makes very clear that, 
that Jesus was a man who, uh, who gained strength from frequent prayer. And that's available to us as well. And also available to us are the, the transfiguration and the resurrection, visions that can keep us faithful as they did those apostles. You know, these are all constant reminders that, that God always, God always triumphs. Paul made his desire for citizenship in heaven his highest goal. Maybe this Lent, maybe we're, we are to, to, to put aside our earthly habits and, and remind ourselves that this should be our goal as well, a goal that is well worth the price.